you remember, we have been going through the Sermon on the Mount. We're in Matthew chapter 5, verses 13 through 16. And, um, and as I said at the conclusion of last week's message, uh, that the title of this message is Similarities and Peculiarities. Yeah, say that uh, three times fast. I never got to the comparisons and the, par- and the parallels of that message. Well, hopefully we can do that today. But I would like to read the passage for us as we get started. Matthew chapter 5, 13 through 16. You are the salt of the earth. This is speaking to you. You are the salt of the earth. But if the salt has become tasteless, it be made salty again. It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown and trampled underfoot by men. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor does anyone light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on the lampstand. And it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. It's a powerful passage, folks. And as I said to somebody this morning, this is the best preaching we've ever heard. This is Jesus preaching. This is not us. This is Jesus preaching. And the peculiarity here is this, okay? And I want to bring these things out. I, I, I want to make sure that you understand that. Salt is something that you can touch. Salt is something that you can smell. You can touch or smell. It's just there. We were just talking about lights. The lights went out for six days because of a cyclone. The lights went out because the power went off. Whatever, you have to see it. You don't touch it. You don't feel it. There are sensory differences here that Jesus is bringing to play in his preaching here so that you know different things differently because of what you can touch, feel, taste, smell. Um, I come from back east a long time ago, and uh, in the wintertime, they would have black ice. In other words, it was ice over the asphalt that you couldn't see that it was really ice. And you would wake up in the morning to find out if they threw salt on that so that you could actually get some traction instead of finding yourself in a ditch. You don't see the salt, okay, there, but it is still at work. The of missing the lights. Uh, years ago, I was in a car with a Graham McNay, and we were heading to a pastor's retreat. And there was a fellow hitchhiking. I never pick up hitchhikers, but there was a fellow there picking up or, or hitchhiking. And there's two of us, why don't we pick them up? Let's see what happens. (laughs) We pick them up. So we said, where are you from? He says, the City of Lights. City of Lights, really? I said, is that the celestial city? And so we got right to heaven real quick. The celestial city, no, no, his City of Lights was Paris. But he didn't speak French, so I doubted whether he really came from the City of Lights. But you see, there is something about the city of light. You can see it from far away. There's there's nothing that you miss on it. Let me point out one other one to you. Jesus declared, John 8.12, you can please write that down if you want to look at it later. John 8.12, he says this, I am of the world. He who follows me, that's if you follow him, will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. See, if we're followers of Jesus Christ, we're no longer in the dark. 
We know what the end is. Somebody was telling me about all of these terrible things happening. I said, but you know what? We know what the end of the book is. And it's not the end. It's actually the beginning for us. Because it's heaven. It's heaven. That's what we're looking forward to. But Jesus is the light of the world. He came into the world. And it was for us to come out of the darkness and follow him. Compared to the blazing brightness of Jesus Christ, the dark does not stand a chance. The dark is going to lose every single time. But what do men want? Turn to three. This is what men want. John chapter 3, verse 19. This is the judgment that the light has come into the world, saying the same thing we just said about John 8. The light has come into the world, but men love the darkness rather than the light, for their deeds were evil. Men don't want to come into the light. They don't want to have their deeds exposed because they don't want people to see what they're doing because they inherently in their conscience know it's evil. You see that in Romans chapter 2, verse 15. They, our conscience tells us what's good and what's wrong, what's good and what's right, and, and what's sinful. But we choose, okay, we're in the darkness to prefer the light, uh, to, to prefer the darkness. The unbeliever would rather languish in the darkness than reach out to the light for truth. That's what they'd rather have. They want it their way. Leave me alone. Don't tell me I want to do what I want to do. And so they do not head towards the light. The other day, Donna and I were driving in the car, and we had this fancy something car come next to us. I don't even know what it was. What is a fancy something? You know, the, 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 the roof is down and <clears throat> it's all different beautiful colors and all of this kind of stuff. And as he pulls up to us, uh, we get to see the back of his car. Take a look at the back of his car. You know how Christians have those little signs on the back there with the fish and, you know, say, you know, follow Christ or something along those lines? Well, this one said, follow Satan. I tell you, I've seen more and more of those kinds of things because people would rather have the dark. I mean, he has this fancy something card that he's not going to be able to take to hell with him, but he still has it for a time period. Folks, they love the darkness. They love the darkness. And even when you talk to them about the light, they don't want the light. God has to gift you. Gift you with the gift of faith. Even though the believer is called the light of the world by Jesus, the world does not want that light. Some believers struggle in the light. Uh, some believers struggle to be the light. Uh, they too hide it on occasion. They need help. That's what this is about. That's what this is about. Somebody once said to me, but Bill, we get preaching on Sunday from John. And if we come back in the evening, we have two hours. I said, yeah, but you have 166 hours left in the week. What are you going to do with those? Keep hearing the preaching and be exposed to the Remember that salt preserves. Is the sound out or is it just me? It's out. 
I, I just thought I didn't hear myself. Remember the salt that the salt preserves and makes things taste better, but the light illumines in Jesus Christ alone. You see, the light does not allow for excuses, folks. The light doesn't allow for excuses. This is why the church is vital. This is why the church is essential. Because you see, the church is a repository of the light, giving out. Our lights collectively are to witness to the one magnificent light and life of the saving life of Jesus Christ. The light has been on at Grace Community Church. And it has attracted many and sent many to different parts of the world. And, and again, I saw the graduation last week, and I, I hear we have nine missionaries that are lined up to go out into parts of the world we, we haven't gone before. This is good. This is good. Let's look at John chapter 1, just for a little bit here, talking about Jesus. I, I, just, I just love this. Well, talking about John the Baptist, but also talking about Jesus. But John 1... Starting in verse 6, there came a man sent from God whose name was John. Speaking of John the Baptist, he came as a witness. Isn't it, folks? We're supposed to be a witness. To testify about the light so that all might believe through him. That's what he was doing was that he was pointing the way to the light. He was not the light, but he came to testify about the light. There was the true light, which coming into the world enlightens every man. Folks, that's what we're supposed to do. Not point to ourselves, but point to the light. Folks, I pray that your light is on. I pray that you are exposing that light to others. I pray that whether it's a little nightlight or it's a torch, that it's doing its job. That's what's necessary. Nightlight or you're a torch, doesn't matter. You need to be doing that. A few years ago, uh, Faith Builders organized a trip to Israel. And uh, one of the tour trips, we go to Nazareth. A little village that they have there. It's all set up like it was in Jesus' day. And so you have some woodworkers there. You have people carrying water. You have uh, women with bushels of food and all that kind of stuff. And, and they're walking around. It was very quaint and lovely and all of those kinds of things. On the way out, we were given a gift by this people who put this on. The, the, the gift was this, was a lamp about three inches long, about two inches high, it had a place where oil could be put in there and where a wick would, would be. And this was used, oh, by the way, there was a handle on one end so you didn't burn yourself. And that was to be emblematic of exactly the kind of light used. But you see, that light would be put in the house, and guess what? It lit up the whole house because there was only one room in the house in those days. Now, I'm not really just giving you a description of the lamp. I'm not telling you that story for that reason. Most of the folks that were there took the lamp and, 
And they put it in some newspaper and stuffed it away in their bag as they went through traveling through Israel. And, and then we're on our way out, okay? We're at the airport. LL is the airlines that we're taking. And guess what they do? They want to know if you've been given a gift by anybody while you were in Israel. Okay? Do you have anything that you received from somebody else and is in your bag? That's what they ask you. And folks, they do it in secret. You know, each person, they're hating you. Why? Because they're a terrorist who would love to get on a plane and, and blow the thing up. Now, most of us said no. Forgetting about the lamp. Knowing what the intent was that they're looking for somebody to give you a package where there could be a bomb, right? Yeah. But we had one of those ladies in our group, a wonderful Christian lady who has her light on. And she says, oh, no, we did receive a gift. We did get something. And it's in our bags. <laughs> Folks, it stopped there. The plane got stopped. Everything. <laughs> I mean, it was, it was, we were done. They went through every single bag to find every single lamp to make sure that it wasn't a bomb. Well, she was letting her light shine, wasn't she, folks? At least that's what I told my wife. <laughs> she was letting her light shine. She didn't want to lie because she did receive something. They know most of us just forgot. I mean, you know, it's just stuck in the bag. <laughs> it, was, it was very funny. <laughs> very funny. The authorities there... Let us go, obviously, our Christian sister who was uh, exposing us uh, <laughs> to the light was just letting him know that there is this problem. Now, you just heard the description of the lamp. Look at verse 15. And it says in verse 15, Nor does anyone put a lamp or light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand and gives light to all who are in the house. You don't light something in those days and just put it under a basket because it takes away the properties of which it's being used for in exposing the whole house and letting you see the whole house. This is a warning from Jesus. You don't light that lamp. In other words, you don't get somebody saved and then have them hide it, go into their closet and not let anyone see who they are. They are to expose others to what has happened to them. They are to be telling others what has happened to them. That's what they should be doing. Paul gives us another reason. Listen to this. Colossians, why don't you turn there? We're going to jump around here for a little bit to get some of the other scriptures that speak of the light. In Colossians chapter 1, Paul gives us a, a purpose, gives us a reason, and he says this, Colossians 1, 12, giving thanks to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. <clears throat> You've been given an inheritance. That inheritance needs to be passed on to others. You see, if you just keep it for yourself... It's like putting that light under the bushel. It's like keeping it for you. Us too, no more, you know, that kind of thing. No, no. It should be given to others. And in verse 13, For he rescued us from the domain of darkness 
and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son. You see, if you've come out of the light, you want to tell others about how they can come out of the light. I remember first getting saved. I could not stop telling people about Jesus Christ and what he had done for me. As a matter of fact, my mother-in-law said, can he ever stop? Important for us to do that. And, and I, I do mean to be nice when you're telling others about it. You shouldn't start off with you're going to hell or anything like that, but you can be nice in giving them the gospel. So what are the similarities that we have here between salt and light? Well, first of all, we have grammatical similarities. Jesus introduces us to this subject. Go back to Matthew chapter 5, back to the Sermon on the Mount. And there are grammatical similarities there. He introduces the subject with the same grammatical subject when he's talking about salt and light. He says, you are. He says, you are the salt, you are the light. And if you were here last week and heard the message, you know, he was specifically speaking to the people that were on the hillside, but generally he's speaking believer, all of us. None of us are immune from this. You are to do this. Now, I was thinking about it a little bit more this week, and in saying you are, and you know that Jesus is speaking to the people that are in the countryside there, it's really astonishing. Jesus is not speaking to the CEOs of the world. Jesus is not speaking to the governmental leaders of the world. Jesus is not speaking to the religious leaders of the world. He's speaking to carpenters, to tradesmen, to moms who are trying to eke out an existence in the agrarian society. That's what they're trying to do. They're, their mother's struggling to raise their children. These are not the movers and the shakers of the world. They are ordinary people. You don't have to wait till you become a pastor. You don't have to wait till you become a pastor's wife or an elder's wife or a deacon or whatever else. It's up to all of you to have your light on all the time. Folks, the other similarity that we have here is in these statements is you are the salt and you are the light. The world here is in the condition of decay and darkness. The world, by the way, since then has progressed, right? No, it has not progressed. Technologically, yes. The world being the people has not really progressed. They're still sinners. They're still going to hell. They're still fighting over land. They're still doing all of the other things that they used to do back then. They're still sinning the way they used to sin back then. There's been no improvements in sin. It's the same thing. This passage, folks, means followers of Jesus Christ have been gifted with righteousness and purity. They know the forgiveness of sins. And they need to be telling others that they too can be forgiven of sins. Turn the light on. The followers of Jesus Christ should be moved to glorify Him in their daily life. They should be displaying this gift of righteousness and purity. That's what they should be doing. 
is displaying this gift that they were given by God. The salvation that they enjoy today. Believers are to display the Lord in their worship. That's why it is essential to be a church and to be with God's people. We are to walk in the light, proclaiming the light of his word wherever and whenever possible. And all of you have different opportunities. I don't care if it's sitting in my office with somebody that's sitting across from me. If I don't think they're saved, I'm going to let them know that they need Jesus Christ. Turn with me to Isaiah chapter 42. Isaiah 42. I love this passage. Isaiah 42. Speaking about the servant, the Lord Jesus Christ. In Isaiah 42, verse 1, it says, Behold, my servant, whom I behold, king of his own son, Jesus Christ, right here, I have put my spirit upon him. Talking about uh, the time of his baptism, it, it happened there. He will bring forth justice to the nations. Who is the nations here? That's us, Gentiles. There are some Jewish people here, but most of us are Gentiles. He will bring forth justice to the Gentiles or to the nations. He will cry out or raise his voice. He will not cry out or raise his voice, nor make his voice heard in the street. A bruised reed he will not break, and a dimly burning wick he will not extinguish. Notice, Jesus Christ, when he came, didn't come with harshness. When was Jesus harsh or hard on people? When he spoke to the religious leaders. But when he spoke to the people, he was winsome. He has established justice in the earth, and the coastlands will wait expectantly for his law. Thus says God the Lord, or Yahweh, who created the heavens and stretched them out, who spread out the earth in its offspring, who gives breath to the people on it, the spirit to those who walk in it. I am the Lord. I have called you in righteousness. I will also hold you by the hand and watch over you, and I will appoint you as a covenant to the people. Look at that last phrase. As a light to the nations. Folks, that's what we're supposed to be, is that light to the nations. Here's another peculiarity. Salt is mentioned first in our going back to the Sermon on the Mount. The Christian who has gospel salt is at the starting point. If you've been converted, if you know the Lord Jesus Christ, you have that salt there. You're different now. You're a preservative. You inhibit decay, decay in your own life and maybe decay in your own home because you continue to follow after Jesus Christ. But it is not actively proclaiming the gospel. You see, the salt of regeneration can be residing in the believer. However, it's not until the voice and the life of that person begin to speak do people actually see it. Why are you different? I, I think I've told the story a, a few times in the past, but 
I asked a, a friend of mine, he was an undercover police officer, and I said, how did you come to Christ? Uh, at the time, he was long-haired, tattooed, uh, I mean, just an ugly dude. A mean-looking dude, because he's big. And he said, well, I kept watching this man across the street. And his wife loved him, and his kids listened to him, and he was kind to everybody that came, and I just got sick of it. That's what he said, okay? And so I went running across the street and knocked on the door. What do you have? That man's life attracted him, and he said, this is what I have. I have the gospel of Jesus Christ. I have the gospel of Jesus Christ. Your life can do that. People are watching you. My neighbors watched me as I got in the car this morning and came to church, and I've got a suit on. Now, who wears a suit in Southern California on a Sunday? Now, I don't wear the suit for that reason. But notice, they are watching you. She set apart from other women by by letting her light shine, but how does she show others? Well, that happens as she interacts with them. The ladies in the neighborhood, the children at the children's school or the the parents at the children's school, or buying groceries, all of those places is where they can begin to see the light shining and saying, what is it about you? Does the place where you normally shop know that you're a Christian? Does the place where you normally go to know that you're a believer? Do your neighbors know that you're a believer? Have you told them? D. Martin Lloyd-Jones put it this way, whether we like it or not, our lives should always be the first thing to speak. And if our lips speak more than our lives, it will avail very little. So often the tragedy has been, the meaner has been a denial. We are something, I love this, we are something before we act as something. You have to be the salt before you can be the light. But sometimes people think they're converted and start acting like the light when they haven't even had the salt yet. Now, I mentioned this last week. The world is decaying. But the reality is darkness pervades our society. It is dark that the light needs to shine on it. But the world doesn't want it. And everything that we speak about and everything that we hold dear, they reject. Did you ever at work begin to talk about things that you believe? And the people at work reject that, walk away? Sure. You see, the salt acts in secret, but the light is always going to be rebuffed. 1 Peter 2.9 says this, But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession, so that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. You proclaim it with your life. You proclaim it with your life. Would you do me this favor? Turn to Ephesians chapter 4. This passage is of great compliment to what Jesus is preaching here. Probably Paul was thinking about this to some degree. 
But in Ephesians chapter 4, Paul's going to this starting in verse 17. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 17. So this I say and affirm together with the Lord. So he's obviously in agreement with the Lord that you walk no longer as the Gentiles also walk in the futility of their mind. They're walking in futileness. They can't even think straight. They're walking and bumping into walls even though they're in this world. Being darkened in their understanding because they follow what's in this world. Excluded from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them because of the hardness of the heart. That's a description. Now, Paul is writing this to the Ephesian church. And what is he doing? He's warning them. He's warning them not to be like the sensuality and practice of every uh, evil. But look at verse of chapter 5. And this is what Paul's encouragement is. After he gets finished with talking about the immorality of the world, he says in verse 7, he says in chapter 5, Therefore do not be partakers with them not be partakers with them. Don't join in their partying. Don't join in the way they handle life. Therefore, do not be partakers with them, for you were formerly darkness. You're no longer darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. If there's anything that we hear today is walk as children of light. Walk as representatives, whatever neighborhood you're in, whatever group of people you're in, whether it's family or not. And I mean family of God, or, or maybe you're just your own family where there aren't any believers. Still walk as children of light. Don't give yourself over to how they walk. Let's go back to the Sermon on the Mount. Here's another similarity. Another similarity, it says, uh, and as we learned last week, we talked about it a little bit, that if the salt has lost its saltiness, it becomes useless and tasteless and trampled underfoot. Now, when the light no longer works, what do you do, folks? You throw it away or get an electrician in to fix it. Bulb and you throw it away. It's the same thing you do with salt. You throw it away. It's useless. One thing that I believe has hampered the gospel are those who proclaim to be Christians but do not have salt or light to authenticate their life. You know some of those preachers. They're on TV. I think I mentioned a couple of them last week when when they fell morally and they got caught morally with these folks, they they didn't have any salt. They didn't have any light. But everybody on the outside is looking at them saying, oh, that's what a Christian does. They do the same thing we do. Let's eat, drink, and be merry. You see, they proclaim godliness, yet their life communicates something completely different, completely different wonder, wow, how did you get that way? 
this person's testimony, like I mentioned, that man across the street from my friend's house, he knew that this man was different. You see, the person who truly loves God and is truly converted child of God will not hide that light. That light was given to them as a gift, and they want to make sure that others have that same gift. You see, when you get saved, you become radiant. Radiant. What you want to do is talk about the gospel. What you want to do is appoint people to the gospel. What you want to do is point people to salvation in Jesus Christ. I have blood brothers and sisters. I would love to see them get saved. And I've been pointing them in that direction, but they do not listen. not accept the world's self-centeredness, easy solutions, immorality, amorality, and materialism. We are called to minister to the world while being separated from its standards and ways. Sadly, however, the church today is more influenced by the world than it is influenced by the church. We, we take on more of what the world looks like. You see, the world today, okay, is supposed to be a product of man's enlightenment. 17th century philosophy, psychology, all of those things, which don't have the answer. Don't give any kind of answer. I remember my college days, I had a final in philosophy. You get those little blue books? I wrote two little blue books. My friend wrote one word. The question was this. That's enlightenment? I wrote the two books and I got a C+. Why? You look at education today. It's been hijacked completely. They are professing to be wise, but they're fools. When it says you are the salt of the earth, you are the light of the world, while those words earth and world appear different in essence, it means the same thing. Even uh, us valley people know the difference, okay? They're basically the same thing. So there's another similarity. In John 9, 5, Jesus said this, While I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Folks, you and I are not that same light as Jesus. And again, we could be a nightlight. Matthew 5, 16. Let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. They need to see the things that you're doing, but you're not doing it to glorify self. You're doing it to glorify God. You want them to see your good deeds, but at the same time, you don't want them to see you. You want them to glorify God. In the Greek, there are two words for good. There is the Greek word agathos, which means a thing of good quality. The second Greek word is kalos, which is a, a means a thing not only good, but winsome and beautiful and attractive. The word that is used here in this gospel, in this sermon, is the word kalos. It is to be a, a, a attractive. You want them to be attracted to you, not because you berate them with the gospel, but you're patient with them. 
You're loving them. Attract others to the gospel. Who are we to glorify? Self? Don't think so. Absolutely not. We are to glorify your Father who is in heaven by being gospel proclaimers. You know, one of the earliest that I see in Luke chapter 18, I, to turn there just for the, a moment, I just love this passage. You see, you want them to see your works. You don't want to be like a Pharisee because the Pharisee wanted them uh, wanted to be seen. And we see there in, in the uh, uh, Luke chapter 18, verse 9, it says that they were righteous and viewed others with contempt. Verse 10, two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. Here you go, you got a religious man and somebody from the IRS. The Pharisee stood and was praying this to himself. God, I thank you that I am not like other people, swindlers, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax gatherer. He felt good about himself. Wow. He's a religious man. I fast twice a week. Look at all he does. I pay tithes of all that I get. I go to Grace Community Church. I even go to Sunday school class, and then I even return in the evening. Does that have does that in your Bible? I'm but the tax collector, standing some distance away, was even unwilling. Poor guy. He has a poor self-image, doesn't he? But you know what? He has the right self-image. He has the right self-image. He sees himself for what he really is, a sinner in need of Jesus Christ. Folks, don't let them see you for your good deeds, but let them see the Lord for the good deeds that are happening. If I can sort of wrap this up this way, God has given us a tall order. What is it? To be lights in all the world. To be lights in India. To be lights in your neighborhood. To be lights at your work. That's not easy. That's not easy. You see, salt is the attitude that you need to have, and light is the action that you need to have. Just the light, then you've forgotten that saltiness that you need to really truly be a believer. And if you just have the salt and you're quiet, then you're not doing exactly what God has asked you to do. Proclaim the light. It's the only freedom this wretched world is ever going to see. It's the only freedom they're ever going to have. Folks, let's pray. Father God, thank you for this morning, for this time with this precious group of people. Lord God, I would believe that in this larger group, there probably are some here that don't know you. I pray that they would reach out, reach out to me, reach out to Carl, reach out to one of the elders in the room. Lord God, so that we could speak into their heart. They speak out to another believer, whatever it may be. We pray for them, Lord God, that would begin to shine in their life. We pray this in your name. Amen.